and everybody's getting really you know, anxious about taking all their clothes off and all that because it's not something you do every day in the company of 350 women. You're looking a little greener around the gills there, and your eyes definitely seem to have lost a sparkle. Our diagnosis is a nasty case of summer blockbusteritis. Here's a prescription for a repeat course of reviews to get you back on your feet. If the chemist can't read our signatures, I'm Phil Walsh. And I'm Jim Hall, with a hypodermic full of 50ccs of Midnight Video 12. Tonight, not for the last time, Paul McGann tries to convince the public that he's doctor material in British thriller Paper Mask. And you'll never look at watermelon in the same way again. Eastern erotica with musical interludes in Taiwanese oddity, the wayward cloud. And a Vietnam vet swaps bamboo hell for an urban nightmare while suffering with a severe case of combat shock. So we're meant to be in the middle of a heatwave today, but actually it's just that ghastly weather. It's ghastly Wimbledon weather today. It's bloody awful. Yeah, yeah of sodgy Wimbledon outside. people. Lots of tourists outside at the London Dungeon. Are there, are there tourists? I thought they'd put some of the models outside. <laughs> <laughs> actually, did you did you get off at the station? Yeah, Cambridge? I did. Did you see the kind of clown? With the, the small one with a mask, yeah. But with an old man mask. Yes, that yeah. genuinely worried me I was concerned for a second it was like the end of Don't Look Now <laughs> but with Rupert Bear trousers on and those yeah. big shoes man that was creepy um, anyway the sad news this morning when I turned on the radio was Peter Falk had died yeah it's a shame yeah, yeah it mean, was all a Twitter on Twitter last night right so I, uh, I knew but it's a shame yeah yeah I mean there was quite a rubbish tribute to him I know it was short notice but they got in the creator of Columbo on the radio this morning but very quickly, it was just it, the questions were more about the, how the guy created Columbo rather than anything about Peter Falk's unique contribution. <laughs> and when it got to the um, the guy doing the interview, was like, "So, where did the raincoat come from?" And this has got to be one of the worst Hollywood anecdotes I've ever heard. The creator of Columbo said, "Oh, well, that was all Peter. Um, one day he was in the street, but got caught in a rain shower, and he ran into a shop and bought the raincoat." With no idea that one day he'd be wearing it in a TV show. <laughs> oh my God. Like, wow. Because uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Are you a fan of the John Cassavetes movies? Because they are uh, using quite a lot of yeah, those. Yeah, not particularly. Um, I, f I felt compelled to watch them because I thought I was missing out on something. But um, yeah, I wasn't really missing out after, after no, all. I've got to say they've never really. I've tried a few. I, I yeah, again, feel obliged to probably have a look at them again. Um, but I remember there was a great documentary on John Cassavetes, which I think was almost entirely an interview with Peter Falk. And uh, Falk was remembering, I can't remember which film it was, but he was sitting with Cassavetes working the plot through. And uh, whichever film this was, he said, oh yeah, Gina Rowlands will be this sort of um, very disaffected housewife, she's not happy at all. Um, to keep costs down, we'll film here in my apartment and over there by the window, you know. And um, they were going through some more plot details, and they said, we need something big to happen. So um, at this point, she'll move, move from America, and she'll go to Europe. <laughs> and Peter Falk was, how are we going to afford to do that? 
and Cassavetti stood up and just with his arms said, that side of the apartment <laughs> is going to be Paris. <laughs> There's something a bit Von Trier about that, isn't Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, sadly Peter Falk uh, has left us, so um, I don't know, we might have a little look around the um, for some films that he might have appeared in. Yeah, why not, why not? But, but probably not a Columbo, it'll probably just be one of the many Patrick McGowan ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So oh. you haven't got just one more thing then? I haven't got just one more thing, no. Let's crack on. Okie doke. What are you called? Matthew Harris. Sounds like an estate agent. I was a biology dropout. I worked on a kibbutz. I sold vacuum cleaners. More. Why? Because lies turned me on. I grew up in Warrington. My father sold scientific instruments. My mother ran a gift shop. I love it when you talk. I can't think. Yes. No, no, no. No more. Fed up of being overlooked and undervalued in his menial job, 1990s Paper Mask sees banjo-playing hospital porter Paul McGann take rapid advantage of a dead man's identity by passing himself off as a fully qualified doctor at a busy West Country hospital. Aided by enthusiastic but oblivious ward sister Amanda Donahoe, and under constant suspicion from grumpy Tom Wilkinson, Ursat's Dr. McGann Sherrard so soon impacts on his one true of nature. Many recommends that we've received off um, the listeners. Uh, this was from Andy uh, or Rodot, and yeah, it was it was really great to get this through actually because I did see this probably quite soon after it came out years ago, and I would have been about thirteen at the time, and I didn't remember that much about it, but it gave me the same sense of dread that I had um, this time mm. re-watching it um, genuine fear of can someone just walk into a hospital and pull off a stunt like this um, possibly uh, people pretended to be a surgeon haven't they is this the craze that's sweeping the nation <laughs> what the surgeon doing the surgeon do we, did everyone do the surgeon <laughs> yeah I mean well it, it brings me on to a major point with this because I did really enjoy this film but uh, could a quick a key question. A key question in it. Why does he go through with pretending to be a surgeon? The, I can see why at the beginning it's it's clear that he's undervalued and he feels he's capable of doing this. But he must know that he's walking into doing something where lives are going to be at risk, and that's clearly something he's not very comfortable with. I I was questioning it all from the beginning. To be honest, yeah. I just found it all very disturbing and worrying uh, from the outset. What just the fact that this could happen in real life? Yeah. Or? Because it does show you how few safeguards there seem to be. I mean, I suppose this was made in a pre-internet age where people could probably uh, check details quite quickly. But basically, to explain the premise here, um, Paul McGann's a hospital porter, Matthew Harris. But at the very beginning, yeah, this, this qualified doctor gets killed in a car accident. Um, McGann goes to take the guy's effects, um, clear out his locker, but then... You know, gets hold of application forms, fakes his signature. It it does seem surprisingly easy, but I don't know. You hear stuff on the news every day now about um, how sloppy procedure is in certain things. You know. Mm, yeah. So maybe not so uh, maybe not so far fetched. I mean, well, basically, did you enjoy this though? Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, it really put me in mind. Well, obviously, it's from that era, but especially like Alan Bleasdale's GBH or the the traffic. If you remember the original oh, the, series, the drugs, the drugs thing, yeah, yeah, which was later remade 
in no, Hollywood. Not bad film, not, Soderbergh. Not badly, but yeah, the yeah. TV version of Traffic's fantastic. Isn't it? But it has that sort of, you know, late, late 80s, early 90s, Channel 4, yeah. British realism, <laughs> gritty realism. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Traffic, because in the TV version it's Julia Ormond. But remember her in that and Amanda Donahoe in this wear kind of similar early 90s fashions <laughs> with a kind of pleated jeans with the roll up and yeah. the raincoat and it looks awful um, <laughs> but I was quite nostalgic watching it yeah, because mm. I can remember that when that was a look uh, you know people would be wearing in the streets but yeah it's got those very um, foppish it's kind of a bit pre- it predates Hugh Grant a bit but there's a lot of those foppy haircuts in it as well aren't yeah, there centre parting curtains and, uh, yeah there's a sort of uh, Sloan Ranger style going yeah. on isn't there yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I, I greatly enjoyed it, and like I said, though it just I was really struggling at some points when there's a particular scene when he gets accepted um, into is it Clifton Hospital yeah. in Bristol, and he comes up on A and E for his first day, and it is just so painful to watch the his fear is palpable and. It, as are the patients. As are the patients. And it just carried over from the screen into me. And I was watching it in bed next to my wife. And I was like, my leg was tapping up and down. And I was like, really? It was what worse, an than, worse than any uh, horror film that I've ever seen. Well, yeah, I suppose because you can imagine it happening. Because, yeah, that is a really well done scene when it's, I think the first thing he has to do is, it's quite a minor injury, isn't it? So a guy's got a very badly cut finger, but mm. the gang's going to stitch it. The thing I really liked with that is you're kind of uh, identifying with McGann, but then also the patient, and he's looking really worried as McGann's dropping the needle on the floor, and he's struggling to get the gloves on in the first place, oh, isn't he? It's great. It's, it's, it's two or three efforts even to get the gloves <laughs> on out of the out of the paper. It's funny because I'm laughing, but it is kind of humorous, though. There is well, there is the, a, a vein of humor running through it, but oh god, painful humour <laughs> Yeah, but also a great thing with that scene is there's a baby crying really loudly in the background the whole time, it's clear these things are just mounting up and mounting up mm. and, um, but that was that was one of the things that brought me up a bit short with it is, like I say, to begin with I understand he wants to become a doctor to get he, feel, he feels he needs a bit more approval from people, because at the beginning the girlfriend of the dead guy is someone he's had a previous relationship yeah. with and she sees him as a bit of a loser yeah, you, you definitely get that from Yeah, him. but, you know, there's there's looking sort of heroic or ambitious in someone's eyes and then there's realising you're going to be up to your elbows in, well, literally, <laughs> up to your elbows in other people's uh, pain. Mm. Um, so that was kind of a bit of a stumbling block for me. But I did really enjoy it. I did think it was a great movie. And, um, yeah, because it made me nostalgic, not just for the fashions, but the fact this, I think this was a, was this a Channel 4 Yeah, it was. Thing? Yeah, every year you used to get the film for season, and it would be stuff that was probably on the cinema about a year earlier. I mean, this, it's, that still happens with documentaries, but I do quite miss the fact that there was that strand of British films that Channel 4 financed. So a lot of Peter Greenaway, who we mention all the time. <laughs> um, I suppose Jarman as well. But you got a lot of these kind of things which might have been played for today on... Um, BBC like a decade earlier and now there's just nowhere for them at all but I really enjoyed it from the outset you know you have the um, the great pretender yes uh, it opens with him playing the great pretender he's do you think he's singing because there's there's almost like two yeah. musical into all oh, right <laughs> holding my notes up and saying is it McGann singing um because he's got quite it's a good weird, voice cause if it, it, is. it does it either is McGann or whoever's imitating him gets his inflections bang on because it does quite sound like him, but he's pretty good. Uh, he's a pretty good singer. I'm, I've got a feeling it might be, but I don't have any um, previous knowledge of him having a singing career. 
didn't the McGann's, the brothers, they released music though really? together? I've got a feeling they did. We've got our outro clip for the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <have> look, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's quite bizarre because he's sitting there, he's singing along with the Platters version of Great Pretender, but on his banjo. But then um, there's a point in the film when he does actually succeed in saving someone's life, and this is like a pivotal moment for him. But he, he celebrates by running back to his room and just. Not even playing a tune on it, just going <laughs> <laughs> like George Foreman. Yes, and uh, <laughs> nuts. I mean, it's one of the weird shifts in tone in this movie, which um, kept me hanging on. I think. But one of the stumbling blocks for me was perhaps um, Amanda Donohoe's character being so complicit mm. as time goes on. You know, she's helping him kind of unawares until she finds out about his identity later on yet she just seems to stick with him and I was never that convinced by their relationship Yeah, was um, it that deep or was it meant to be or? not really I mean you needed Donahoe's character in there I think because he would have been totally out of his depth but she quickly realises and she says oh every doctor's like this on the first because they're more book learning rather than practical mm. experience so she helps him out but yeah, no, I, I think that was actually quite well done because it's clear she then falls in love with him so she's willing to do more and more. And the whole idea of, I don't think it's spoiling it too much, that yes, by the end of the film, certainly she finds out more about him. That's a huge issue for her, isn't it? She has mm. to sort of work out what she's going to do in response to that. But I was just going to say, yeah, th there are a lot of plot contrivances in this in order to keep things going but I thought they were generally done quite well mm. in terms of people having to be at this place at that time and I thought the script was good, the direction was possibly a bit so-so um, perfunctory yeah it did the trick but there was um, to begin with in this film um, as we've kind of said already it's whether you should really be on McGann's side at all because you know what's his motivation for doing this surely we shouldn't be on the side of a guy who's pretending to be a doctor when he's got no business doing it and uh, it's curious then that when you have the interview for the, for the for the post Tom Wilkinson's character is kind of set up as a villain but actually you want people like that in real life don't you you want yeah. people on the board who are saying I don't think this guy's up to the job at all he's you know he's very suspicious of him from the out outset mm. um and you do think, what is this whole film just going to be about a guy who wasn't valued and then eventually proves everyone wrong by, you know, he's, he's got the right stuff? Because, yeah, without spoiling it, it does, about an hour in or so, um, it starts to develop a, another kind of plot, doesn't it? Basically, um, it becomes in the second half not so much can he do the job, but can he stop people from finding out who he is, you know? There's quite a lot more to it than that. And did that stuff work for you, or...? Well, it, yeah, I mean, it was like um, a film of two halves then, really, wasn't it? And it, it tend it Separated by a blues concert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it went into the more fantastical, though, I suppose. Um, which, to be honest, like I said before, I was find I'm finding it such hard work anyway, just the, the fact that someone would go and do something like this, that it didn't overly bother me, mm -hmm. um, that it went a little even more crazy, as it were. Yeah. Um, but I can see how that is it's a tonal shift that could it could unbalance the whole thing yeah I mean I enjoyed it um, some of those shifts because yeah I mean, again not spoiling it but a few people uh, it, it's it's how far McGann's character is willing to go to keep his identity you know he keep his secret but you do get some fairly grim things happening which 
work in plot terms but in the way they're executed I found myself chuckling at them yes yeah <laughs> um, in particular because there's a quite an elderly couple in it who are a bit doddery and just when things start happening with them it's hard to keep a straight face <laughs> just because it's oh, kind it's, of out uh, of character with, with Frederick the, Treves Frederick Treves mm. yeah not of the elephant man well there's the great nephew of really the Frederick Treves ah, yeah. right but yeah because I suppose most of the atmosphere of this is not comedy but it's 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 it is nudging its audience a bit throughout. So then, if things if grim things start to happen, it's quite difficult to take them seriously or as seriously as they need to be taken. But yeah, there's a particular scene towards the end which I'll just say the with the blood bags, oh, which yeah. just the way that was done was so much like maybe a Faulty Towers episode <laughs> or something yes. where they had to keep something hidden from the hotel inspector or something. <laughs> it was uh, wonderful, but um, yeah, no, I. I really enjoyed this, and yeah, I felt quite sort of melancholy at the end, uh, just that this this sort of film wouldn't get made now. I mean, if you get British films now, it's kind of well, it's not this. It's going to be um, still that quite Laura Ashley as Alan Parker called it, I think, kind <laughs> of uh, uh, period pieces. Yeah, uh, there's some that or to or Guy Ritchie kind of. Oh, those are the ones that managed to bubble under the There are a few, but there used to be a lot of yeah. things like this. Yeah. Which, um, well, there was, it was, like you say, it was that um, era when Channel 4 yeah, were basically put, putting put the, the funding money up in. for stuff that might have been the TV play otherwise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, it, it, like I say, it made me nostalgic for that, and I think I'm curious to go back and look at a few of those. Some of those titles appeared in my head as uh, I was watching this. Yeah, I mean, I've. I've got GBH on traffic. Yeah, at home, no, GBH but is really good. Yeah. Series, you know. Yeah, yeah. but so the one I'd be curious to see. I think there was one called Eat the Peach about a guy who built his own wall of death. Oh wow! You think? Yeah, that, I don't know. It could be a terrible film, but I think I'm going to go back and try and find a few of those um, those ones. There's there's one I remember enjoying called Restless Natives about a couple of Scots kids who uh, do. Um, they become sort of modern highwaymen on motorbikes and take on coach parties <laughs> with clown masks on and things. Um, but yeah, no, um, thanks to Andy for sending us this. Yeah, cheers, Andy. Yeah, uh, much appreciated. <sighs> what are you doing? I'm trying to feel your kidneys. And a new addition to the show is the A to Z of film through midnight video. Some of you have already been contributing to this through Twitter and Facebook. Um, thanks very much for that but I only mentioned it recently this week so to give people a chance to get involved uh, the drill is we just wanted to create an unofficial A to Z directory of film um, but through the podcast so yeah, kind of films that we'd cover and yeah kind of films but try and be a bit cleverer than that you know not, yeah not just I mean films. yeah I mean, <laughs> not just the titles of your favourite film beginning with A try to be clever please <laughs> yeah but basically yeah if you could get in touch with us and um, you know imagine that finally we had um, a published book which was a directory of the kind of areas of film that we might cover on Midnight Video because I don't think we've ever really laid down what we do and don't do I mean we kind no. of avoid summer blockbusters basically Especially yeah, after seeing I mean, through Green Lantern the other day. There's a bit of a oof, there's a bit of a manifesto on the blog that you can see. You know, it's, yeah. uh, we're kind of opposed to yeah things like Green Lantern. <laughs> there's still a lot of other stuff out there that you yeah. could talk but about. But your your you people out there are creating the manifesto at the same time. So um, 
Yeah, get in touch with us. We've we've got some entries already for A, which we'll be reading out on the next show. But whether it's a film title, a director, or just a, an element of film, anything, you know. I mean, you know, we're not going to be contrary about it, but we probably are going to. Uh, we, we'll be we're quite keen to read the slightly more uh, unusual and imaginative entries. So yeah, just if you can uh, send us your suggestions, and preferably with what would be a short, a short entry that you'd have written yourself. Just a, a small statement. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be very detailed. A few sentences. Yeah, and um, uh, and we'll read them out and possibly do something else with them if we. I don't mean that in an insulting way. <laughs> yeah, but you <laughs> no, never they know. May have we some, could uh, like, afterlife. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, have you got something? Like, For A or, or shall we uh, read it out next week? Well, All right, I'll get I'll get an A out of the way. I'll um, get an A as well. Okay, do you want to go first? Okay, yeah. It's your baby. For me, it was A for audio commentary mm-hmm. um, from the introduction of well, laser discs first, but I never had a laser disc player, unfortunately. But yeah, when DVDs came out and I could like listen to people involved with the films talking about what I was watching, this opened up whole new avenues. Another A. <laughs> I'm not going to include that though. Um, yeah, it was and you thought drunkenly waffling about films an easy enough job? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, it was a whole new world opened up. You know, I mean, it's funny because up until with the internet sort of proliferated, it was always quite a challenge to find out about films. You'd have to really hunt, hunt down information, seek it out. Um, you'd have to be in the know or whatever. Now it's all opened up, but I find the commentaries are quite interesting you know they're quite personal experiences and when you hear it from the horse's mouth as it were it adds uh, a whole new dimension i mean it's changed my mind about n- numerous mm. films that i've either disliked or liked a lot i know you're a huge fan of the hoven and uh, arnie mm. on uh, total recall, total recall. yeah that's probably my favorite yeah i mean a arnie that's my another a for me as well yeah. but yeah um audio commentary is a big uh I think one of my favourite bits on audio commentary, you'll know this, but it's on, uh, going back to our first show, Mark Kermode interviews um, <laughs> William Peter Blatty on the ninth configuration. Yeah. And in the scene in that, when Robert Logia's in this kind of thrown together um, minstrel makeup doing Rainbow Round My Shoulder, Kermode goes, um, So this is an interesting image because it also crops up in the other film you've directed, Exorcist 3. Um, what's the significance of this minstrel face makeup? And Blatty seems kind of surprised that it's in both films and goes, nothing, really. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, those would be my, um, that would be what I love about audio commentaries is when it wrong foots someone. And, yeah. Yeah. My A, it's another technical thing, um, but I'm, I'm not sure if this is quite in the spirit of things. I'm going to go for aspect ratio because it's the thing that probably. Um, shows me up as a philistine more than anything else in an age when everybody's uh, on about blu-ray and hdtv and all this going aspect ratio is the thing that trips me up whenever people come to my house and say well hold on this isn't in the right right frame you know there are there's a few millimeters missing off the end <laughs> and honest to goodness i don't notice the difference i think this is i'm gonna blame either i have a very uneducated not palette but you know eye for these things but yeah, I suppose it is the equivalent of... It makes me feel like I'm at a wine tasting uh, and I'm happy with the Sainsbury's basic kind <laughs> of efforts there. Um, but I do... Um, yeah, even though the show's called Midnight Video and we rarely watch things off videotape, but yeah, that would be quite nice. There's something I like about things not being quite... 
obviously if it's a film I really really love you'd want it in the right kind of aspect ratio and the, the best print possible but there's something I really enjoy about watching things which have been a bit cropped and uh, not quite there you're shaking your head no <laughs> yeah I mean I totally agree yeah. I, I'm not I've got to say, obvious exceptions to that would be something like The Thing, which there's the TV pan and scan version, which is absolutely awful, watching the husky go across from... It's kind of running on the spot while the cam... Well, it's not the camera, they've kind of dragged the, the whatever area of the screen they're selecting, and it's awful. And the same with Man Who Fell to Earth, that... Um, and good, the bad, and the ugly. But yeah, Spaghetti Western, sometimes I quite like the fact that they've been treated a bit roughly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm like... I, there's quite often, there's a lot of... Furor over releases on um, on Twitter, and I kind of sit on the fence on these. I, I don't really; it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, as long as I'm watching something, I, I, I don't mind. Um, I think Argento's Tenebrae is just about to be released, and Arab um, video who've been releasing this stuff have been pulled up quite a lot for uh, changing the. Uh, the ratios. I don't know if this it's is them. by fans. There's not some yeah. body who regulates. No, no. Um, which, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a complete philistine. If something's meant to be in widescreen, I, yeah, I obviously there are times widescreen. Yeah. But yeah, it's like you say. There's, there's that kind of element. There's that. Um, it gives a feeling that you've had to work to even find that copy of it. If that's yes. the best you can find. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's like the copy of the humanoid I saw had uh, Japanese. Subtitles, but yeah. So sadly, we've both picked a technical aspect there. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but we'll see on the next show because we have got some contributions already, which might, which will be better than ours. Yeah. I so we're, we're heading for A at the moment, but B, A, and B. Should we say A and B or stick to A? Let's go A, B, and C. A, B, C. Yeah. Easy as one, two, three. Yeah. So look at love. <laughs> Taiwan's official entry in the 78th Academy Awards is an unusual tale of erotica and watermelons. Highly successful in its home country, the loose narrative of Tsai Ming Lang's 2005 film The Wayward Cloud involves a male porn movie star, an ongoing water shortage and a struggling relationship, and while the action is largely silent, expect frequent punctuations from musical numbers staged in outrageous fancy dress. Okay, so this was a recommend from you, Phil. Yeah, it does, was. That, does it sound scathing? <laughs> where, uh, no, I was just curious where you'd heard of it. And um, uh, Mondo movie. Someone recommended it for the Mondo movie guys to cover mm-hmm. years ago, and they never did. <laughs> they de- they politely declined. <laughs> but I remember the person who wrote into them describing it, and I was like, "Wow, that that sounds unmissable." It must must have been in one of the like very early shows, like two thousand and seven or something, and. Yeah, I picked it up a few years ago on DVD, and I tried. I started watching it about th- two or three years ago, and I only made it about twenty minutes in, and I just thought, oh, I can't handle this. So I thought maybe it would be a good well, idea this, to do. This it would for encourage the you to actually get through to the end. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and watching it now, what did you uh, what did you think? Um, I had mixed feelings. Uh, I I enjoyed elements of like it. A fruit salad. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed elements of it, but other bits I weren't so keen on. Um, I 
go into that into more detail a bit later on but I've not seen any of his other films and I watched an interview with him and they seem to be largely they follow a similar kind of vein as having the main characters uh, don't speak right um, and these two characters are actually from a previous film as yeah, well yeah I read that there was, well some people say they are some people say there's a suggestion I don't know if they're the same actors maybe they or, are the same right. actors when that, the, in the interview with um, Simon Lang, he was claiming that he always uses the same characters, but they can often be in different parallels, you know, right. in some way. So maybe a bit like the Lindsay Anderson characters, the way they drift between films. That's right. Same yeah. actors and sometimes the same names, but they're in different kind of. Yeah, they're not be- meant to be carrying on from previous. Because films. the the porn star in this yeah. was previously a watch seller in another film mm. and that sort of alluded to ever so slightly in this right uh, because she was she had an affair with him and I don't want to get too convoluted yes. <laughs> um, yeah because we pr- should probably explain something of what happens in the film uh, although yeah. it's quite all over the shop isn't it it's, it's all over the place yeah well um, d- <laughs> I might have to leave that to you actually well, yeah, I did I mean, find this quite confusing to follow. You have two central characters who one of them is male and female. Yeah, male and yeah. female. One, the male is a porn star. So throughout the film, you've got a lot of um, him porn in action scenes. being filmed. Yeah, yeah, you've got you're watching um, films being made mm-hmm. or scenes from uh, porn yeah. films being made, and then you've got this girl who is she's kind of wandering aimlessly. There's a lot of aimless wandering going on here. She's, she loses yeah, her key in some tarmac. Seems to yeah. be quite <laughs> significant. Well, I think her thing because there's a water shortage, as we mentioned in the intro. So people are looking for other methods of getting water, and she mm. seems to get hers from public um, places, public fountains toilets, and, uh, yeah. water fountains, mm-hmm. or uh, in a video shop. I think she goes into the bathroom there she's certainly in a video shop and I thought that had a lot of his tapes in didn't it yes and then they eventually meet and they seem to develop this relationship and fall in love but it's not overly clear whether they are in love and he seems quite unhappy being a porn star and there's a whole question about can porn stars be have an actual sexual relationship yeah Yeah. because it seems like they hang around with each other and there's some kind of mutual arrangement there but in terms of something platonic yeah yeah yeah, they just seem to enjoy each other's company but Mm. when it comes to consummating it there's a there's an issue there isn't Mm. there and then yeah like also there's there's loads of no, they are they are random musical numbers. Yeah, they, they don't really. Add the lyrics anything. of them don't pertain to the plot. Or Not particularly. I mean, the the lyrics are all very melancholy from mm. the characters singing them. Points of view. Um, yeah, because the initial one is this guy uh, that the porn star wanders into a big water tank on top of his apartment building, doesn't he? But emerges covered in silver scales, sort of singing balefully at the moon. <laughs> and you know, it was. Um, I don't know what to make. <laughs> really. Um, it confounded you. It, well, there was that, and I thought, uh, I don't know what I thought. I, <laughs> well, what I'll say is I didn't enjoy this. You know, um, <laughs> are you surprised? Not really. I, said no. I was watching it with Estelle, and I said, yes. "Jim's gonna fucking hate this." Because <laughs> you and I, I, yeah, this is this is a shameful admission, but I think at various points, because you would, I think. Uh, emailing me about certain things while I was watching it, and I did find myself wandering off just to check if my um, email account had updated. <laughs> I got, but 
it, it wasn't like there were loads. There was loads of action going. A lot of it is what seemingly five minute scenes with with nothing happening. It's just like a, a couple of, of people shots. hanging around, yeah. so there's staring off. So I didn't feel like I was missing anything by going and just sort of clicking the refresh button on my uh, computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. I reckon probably it would add up to about half an hour of scenes where there's just a, a static camera either and in corridors actors. or outdoors. But they're they're very pretty, beautiful images, and they go down really well in an art gallery, I think. But in the film, they come across as unnecessary. In a film that's already quite a trial. Well, yeah, I don't want to say that because I, I kind like I say, I kind of enjoyed it. But I did feel myself. I did feel they were incongruous to the <laughs> the action scenes, if you can call You're them. You've been very generous. <laughs> yeah, because it will go from these static scenes to these musical numbers. Um, yeah, the, the initial ones with the merman, which looked like it could have been quite fun. Um, but they just get more and more. I don't want to say bizarre because that would suggest that I found them really kind of. Woo-hoo, my mind's being blown. I wasn't. I was just irritated by them, and they really seem like. Um, oh, do you remember? The, the do you remember Euro Trash? The, oh, I love Euro Trash. Yeah, it was like that. And on Euro Trash, this late night TV show, which just seemed to be made for the British audience, but it would go around Europe finding, well, pretty much scatological and sexual based bits of culture from the continent. His brilliant voiceovers with very regional <laughs> accents doing the the translations. But a, that's a what we the, needed. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time on that show, Euro Trash, you wondered if stuff had been made up deliberately for the show, whether it was genuine. Yeah. And with this, certainly by the time it got to, I think the last big musical number, which is um, in is the toilets. in the toilets with the girl with the girls with uh, they're like traffic cone breasts, but they're haranguing the main actor who's wearing a sort of bell end for a hat, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> yeah. And you just thought, you know, this isn't big and it's not clever. And also, uh, various reviews I've read of this sort of trot out, oh, it's got Busby Berkeley musicals. Mm. And the fact that they're not staged anything like as well as Busby Berkeley. You know, they've got maybe 20 dancers, but they just walk backwards and forwards a bit. And I think there was the big scene with the watermelon patterned umbrellas. I really liked that. I really? thought that was, that was the highlight for me. I thought that was really well done. I thought the song was brilliant as yeah. well. You'll hear a clip of that. Okay. <laughs> some point. Um, I, th- I thought that was very well done, yeah. What about the the, tra- the cross dressing musical number? Yeah, uh, was there a point to that? I don't know where that came from. Again, yeah. Well, other than it went from a, a, one of the many interminable static shots to then these these characters dancing around, laughing hysterically, um, yeah, dressed in each other's clothes. I didn't. I just got quite irritated with it, but it, it didn't even make that much of an impact that it bothered me it was just I was more wondering what I'm going to have to talk about it when I have to to do the review in fairness I enjoyed the opening I mean the opening is um, I have to be careful how I say this it's a girl a naked girl lying with her legs open but she's got this half watermelon between her thighs and uh, the porn actor goes in and starts um, messing around performing performing but it is Weirdly, given how unerotic that should be, it's sort of it is really quite obscene to look at, and it's one it's of those things that you're not quite sure how your head's working in. Not in terms of whether you're aroused by it, but just why does this seem so highly eroticized when it's just a <laughs> chunk of fruit? Yeah, it's very well done though that scene because the sound design is incredible. Oh yeah, it? it's yeah, very. Uh, I put my I put my headphones on at that point because <laughs> my I knew my neighbour would be coming home with her daughter and uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, it's a great opening, that. Um, well, the whole opening, because there's that scene, then it cuts to this girl lying in the kitchen watching TV reports on how to store water, and then it cuts back to the, the shagging with the fruit. But at that point, it's from behind, and uh, not, sorry, it's shot from behind, <laughs> just to avoid any confusion. <laughs> but the porn star guy has got the presumably fully eaten out shell of the watermelon on his head, and I thought, <laughs> this movie's got a good sense of the absurd. And I was quite looking forward to seeing where it went after that. But the merman was kind of, that's when it wobbled for me, and yeah. then after that it never really... Uh, never recovered didn't pull you back in <laughs> no <laughs> there was one film that it reminded me of um, in particular the the silence between the protagonists uh, which is Kim Ki-duk's Three Iron I don't know if you've seen that never heard tell her that no is a Korean director who is I suppose he's infamous for making um challenging films but he's <laughs> so challenging with some <laughs> commas. I really like his films though mm. they're brilliant I think and Three Irons probably my favourite one but that's got two central um, characters who don't communicate oh don't talk yeah. sorry and and it's just way way better than this it's a much more believable I way way better yeah <laughs> you really invest yourself emotionally in those characters with these characters I didn't really care about them mm. there, there wasn't anything to latch on to really yeah right? um, until you get so, <laughs> until the very last scene yeah. I think as per usual we're not going to discuss that in detail but um, what I've read around that people are very positive about the film saying the whole thing's sort of um, a metaphor for the decline of society the fact that you've got this porn actor going at it while there's an obvious crisis going on with a water shortage but the porn's still going on by the end um, this has escalated um, and I can see why that should visually what happens towards the end is kind of a particularly unpleasant piece of pornography being filmed but I didn't really care because if it was making a serious point the preceding what hour and 40 minutes I should think just hadn't really grabbed me at all so I just I was waiting for it to end at that point I'll tell you what I did but, enjoy in this yeah the most visually arresting forget all these Busby Berkeley Euro trash guitar musical numbers the thing that really grabbed me and I thought wow when they're flash frying the noodles oh yeah that was incredible yeah I was, I was I'd never in, seen that yeah I mean presumably this is a fairly normal kind of thing but it was just it was it was one of the uh, it was a scene that I thought did deserve a camera stuck on it and uh just letting it go on because yeah they just throw noodles in a pan but it's just amazing how they expand yeah not since I first penetrated a haggis <laughs> have I been so amazed by what food can do <laughs> have you ever done that with a haggis once you boiled it once you pierced the it skin goes, it just prolapses out yeah. it's an amazing sight but yeah <laughs> the noodles in this watch it for the noodles <laughs> it's all about the noodles <laughs> yes <laughs> Going back a few shows, was it show 10? Yeah, we celebrated double figures. Yeah. Uh, in terms of shows, double figures rather than uh, listenership. <laughs> but thanks to all eight <laughs> of you out there, <laughs> which was to win David Carradine's movie, The Silent Flute, and also... A woman called Abby Sada. Indeed. Um, the question we asked was, um, David Carradine stars in The Silent Flute... Another member of the Caradine clan appeared in a film that we'd re reviewed recently, so we wanted to know what the name of that film was. And I've got the winning entries here. 
Uh, we were going to pull them out of a hat, but we failed to win the competition on the hat-based podcast we listened to, to win a hat, <laughs> to pull the entries out of, yeah, milliners week. So, Phil, would you like to uh, rummage around? So the first Audio winner magic. is Andy, a.k.a. Rodok. <laughs> There's a nice symmetry there, because it was Andy who gave us paper masks. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is like a... Uh, one-on-one-off kind of thing. He so correctly guessed, not guessed, um, correctly answered with Orca the Killer Whale, yeah, which, featured which featured Keith Carradine um, having trouble with a dinghy. So well done, Andy. Uh, so thanks for Paper Mask, and we're going to be sending you a copy of one of those films. So uh, we'll email you and see which one of them you're after. And our second lucky winner... <laughs> is Rich, Richard Wells. The fantastic Rich Wells, who... Um, God, this does sound like we've only got eight listeners, doesn't it? But no, Rich has been absolutely fantastic in the last few weeks for reasons which will become clear soon. We've had a lot of correspondence with him, but uh, something we're all working on. Yeah. But so he also correctly There is no answered. nepotism here, by no, no, the no, way. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe there's just a lot of people who don't particularly want to win David Carradine <laughs> movies. Or a woman called Abby Sardin. But he guessed uh, Sergeant Pepper. He didn't guess. He, 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 he outguessed us. He correctly answered and he showed. He shamed us for the unprofessional sods we are because uh, he pointed out David Carradine also appears in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band very or briefly. Or was it not Keith? Which one did I say? David. No, it's Keith. Oh, yeah. right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, was it Chris Salt as well that also pointed out? Yeah. Sergeant Pepper. So, yeah, um, in future for any competition entries... <laughs> Do make it clear what the link is, else we because yeah we get it wrong. Obviously, um, I was I was worried when someone suggested sorcerer, and I was thinking, oh my god, is there <laughs> an uncredited cameo from Martha Plimpton in that or something? <laughs> but uh, yes, congratulations, guys. Um, we'll be in touch with you, and uh, just to find out which which of the discs you're after, and get your contact details. But another competition now. Woohoo! Which we'll have to ban uh, ban Andy from entering <laughs> with his own disc. Yeah. Uh, Paper Mask, which uh, we genuinely enjoyed. We didn't. Just well, he he could either win Paper Mask or <gasps> John Hillcutt's The Proposition. I'm chucking that in the mix. What a generous man! Yeah, one or the other though. You're not getting yeah a copy uh, of each. <laughs> but uh, same drill. We're going to ask a question which will involve you having listened to our podcasts closely. Uh, Paul McGann starred in Paper Mask and also appeared as Doctor Who um, in a 1996 TV movie but he also did an awful lot of audio appearances he's in a bizarre state where he's the George Lazenby of Doctor Who he played him once but he was also the longest running Doctor at the same time because <laughs> he was there for about 8 years or something before Eccleston took over but anyway the question is Paul McGann played Doctor Who um one of our recent podcasts, there was a film we covered which we uh, thought had parallels with the Sylvester McCoy era Doctor Who story. If you can email us with the answer at midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk and just tell us which, which film it was. But please, um, Hotmail, and if you can put competition show 12 in the header so we, it's easier for us to um, collect Sift all the answers. Through. Yeah, And also... Don't just text us and go, Sorcerer! <laughs> And also the discs are region two, by the way. So yes. make sure your DVD players can play that kind of shit. I keep telling myself she's just a girl. The pressure. No, she's the end. I have to kill her. But she's just a kid. I can't take it anymore. 
If most Vietnam veterans didn't get a hero's welcome, they could at least expect fresh milk. There's no such look for Frankie in Buddy G's 1986 movie, Combat Shock. With his wife at the end of her rope, and their baby severely deformed, possibly by Agent Orange, destitute Frankie's frequent lapses into nightmare flashbacks of massacres, torture and hospital treatment offer the only escape from his current bleak existence in the slums of Staten Island. The first thing I noticed about this, apart from it being a trauma release, was 2000 AD. Yes, um, I noticed that as well. I mean, this celebrated British comic. I think it could have been a direct really? reference to that. I've not looked it up. But no, um, I, I couldn't find anything. I did have a look around, but um, couldn't find anything specific. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like Cannibal the Musical. This was um, distributed by Troma. It's not actually a Troma film. As zero budget movies go, this has got to be one of the best I've ever seen. It was um, a spectacular piece. It's good to be reviewing this straight off the back of Wayward Cloud. Um, not that Wayward Cloud... I don't know what the intentions of the filmmakers were there, but when that was full of bizarre things happening and you can imagine someone saying oh you've got to see this film it's the craziest thing you've ever seen mm. actually I found it quite drab Wayward Cloud the stuff the crazy stuff that was happening in it is stuff you've seen done by anyone who's trying too hard to be crazy and off the wall this I've got to say is possibly the strangest film I've ever seen <laughs> um, just in terms of I had no idea what the tone of it was because I hadn't realised that, that Troma just distributed it rather than had been in there from the beginning financing it, because I was wondering if that was one of the things. I mean, it is an incredibly grim film, but quite a lot of the time it seems to be played for laughs. The rest of the time, absolutely dead straight, and it's this guy's nightmare. Um, but it swings around so much, you're never quite sure what it's trying to do until possibly the very end. And I was wondering if that was because either they were very... Um, it was being made by very young and experienced filmmakers who didn't quite know how to do it properly mm. and so it was just a consequence of that or whether they had a very serious film but Troma had made them make certain um, right, yeah. allowances or maybe they'd made the film something that they thought Troma would, would, would go with. Did you find that? Just that the tone was all over the bloody shop? Uh, in some ways, not too, not too badly for me um it put me in mind a bit of like Hubert Selby Jr. Mm. Um, that sort of really bleak nihilism, or or William Burroughs even, where you need kind of humour there as well, just but, to just to get through it. Yeah, but then also when you think about it, the humour does seem kind of unintentional as well. Um, and well, I, I don't know. There are some. We'll get onto it later. Specific scenes, but yeah. there are bits of dialogue which are deliberately in there you just think or even just one liners which are cut in oh yeah well what was the one have, have you got this, my veggie mixer or something is the bit when he's at the um, sort of social security and the guy just walks in and goes where's my vegematic and walks Vegem off again it's one of those just incongruous there's things there's a picture of Zapper on the crapper uh, yeah, behind him of and Ted Dawn Kennedy of the Dead and then Frank Zapper on the other wall <laughs> but um but anyway, going back to the beginning with this, um, the titles have kind of fairly, well, footage you may have seen before of Vietnam, real footage, but then cut with the guy, um, the main character in it, Frankie, just running around. Um, Staten Island. Staten I <laughs> well, it's filmed in Staten Island, but it's meant to be Vietnam, isn't it? Um, and even with that, I wasn't entirely sure if the effect of that was meant to be, it was footage of Vietnam, or whether it's all meant to be seamless. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Whether it was meant to be newsreel stuff 
in the context of the film and then they were showing this guy's personal experience of the war or whether the whole stuff was meant to be one ongoing scene I I, I separated them yeah. when I was watching them personally because yeah. they're so obviously it, from they're different so sources. obviously different yeah. yeah and when he's narrating it was generally when they're filming in the Staten Island bit isn't it I think yeah. I'm right in thinking that anyway this is but, sometime after because it's quite mm. a violent massacre at the beginning or mm. it's they go to town on the effects I'm not sure if you it doesn't look particularly realistic but they don't flinch from trying to show what happens there no yeah there's some um, and also yeah uh, and also it got a really chaotic score which I think is actually by the guy playing Ricky um, Frankie isn't it yes it is yeah. yeah but that's I thought that was pretty good I just wanted to say as well because at the beginning after the credits and you, you have this sort of like two or three minutes of just the score mm. with lots of shots um, and it reminded me of Vertical Features remake. Oh really? Yeah. The go, if you yeah. go back and watch it again, honestly, there's like this is three minutes of just lots of like trees yeah. or posts and this whirring, bubbling synthy score underneath. Yeah. And I was, I was like, wow, this has gone really <laughs> art house. <laughs> Where did this come up? Finally, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought the synth score there worked really well. Yeah. But then another thing, even though I liked it, it was one of the things that contributed to not really knowing what the tone of the film is. The rest of it has this quite kind of boppy synth score, doesn't it? Yeah. Which, um, are you old enough to remember when Stan Ridgway had a freak novelty hit with Camouflage? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was atypical of his output. Most mm. of his stuff sounded much more like that synth score that's in this when they're queuing up and they've just got this... Uh, well, I'm sure we'll play it at some point during the, the show. <laughs> But I really, um, I can't get that out of my head now. Mm. <laughs> cool. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, actually, before we go any further, just thanks to uh, Lyndon who suggested this movie. When he was mentioning the the baby in it, this deformed baby, which is down to Agent Orange, oh, I just thought that tipped me off. Eraser head. That. Well, there's a lot of eraser head <laughs> in here, isn't there? Because, yeah, the baby is... Um, is again a puppet. It's nothing like as well realised as the one in a razor head, but it does the trick. It does look really. You feel your heart goes out when you see it because it's got those really droopy eyes and just its face is in a constant. Uh, and the way they do it, sound is like from a synth. It's kind of echo, isn't it? It's, it's like it's in a chamber, yeah. but also the sound just in this ghastly little hovel they're living in. That uh, Frankie and his wife. There's the constant sound. I'm not sure if this is maybe something it's that you do get in tenement uh, buildings with the steam and everything. Um, but yeah, I I think those were very deliberate nods to a razor head. Oh yeah, I, I was going to say the sound design has yeah. got like Splet yeah. and Lynch all over it. Um, <laughs> that but sounds filthy. <laughs> it's got Splet and Lynch all over the place. But particularly, yeah, the scenes yeah. in the apartment. Um, yeah, that just that hissing, and yeah. you know, I mean, you even see that in like things like the Elephant Man with the gas lamps and stuff. You know, yeah. so I think that was a an obvious nod like you say yeah but yeah the, the, there's the eraser head kind of parallel there but the interesting thing watching this is eraser head was always a it's a well I'm directing to call it a fantasy but it's not meant to be set in any kind of real world it's meant to be a, an emotional kind of it's evoking a feeling of mm. unpleasantness this sadly does seem a bit too much like real life mm. um, you know um and most of the film, again, like Wayward Cloud, nothing much really happens, although it does keep itself moving along. But a great deal of film just concerns itself with him queuing up to go and see guys at the social security, just having a few odd little chats with uh, derelicts he runs into or the local um, mob 
they're not even the mob, are they? They're kind of a. I don't know. You yeah, certainly they're, there's they're some debt collectors who um, are after him. Yeah, they're um, wannabe mafiosos, yeah. aren't they? More than anything. Yeah, but very little happens plot-wise, and it just keeps flipping backwards and forwards with him really going downhill, flashing back to, uh, yeah, he was captured in Vietnam and tortured and wound up in hospital for some period of time. But I thought those were really well done. It did, it's it's a really nightmarish film. Oh, it did, yeah, it's, it, it's so grimy in its depiction of the um, the area and the time, you know, the the setting is it's so... Uh, I said visceral it. before, but yeah, yeah I mean, it really There's is. There's a layer of it's, grease on your eyeballs oh, when you get out of it. So. It's incredible. Yeah, I was scratching a lot watching it, especially there's a lot of scenes under a bridge or something where mm. all the um, smackheads go. It's just piles of rubbish and needles and dirt, and, you know, you see a guy who can't find a... A vein, he just a, tips the... Yeah. He just cuts it with, like, a rusty piece yeah. of metal and just pours the powder into his uh, yeah, arm. The, the guy playing him is great because he's so annoying. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the kind of role Eric Roberts would probably have played around <laughs> this time. But, yeah, you got um, Rick, um, Frankie himself, but then you got this smackhead pal of his who just Mikey. keeps pestering him. But, he's, he's, oh, the look of him is so horrible. The other film thing I thought it re- did remind me of, something we've sort of talked about before, Ralph Bakshi also had that feeling of how grim New York and mm. America was, you know, at the time. But also the fashions there. Given this is the mid-80s, there's a lot of hangover 70s fashions, and yeah. not in a sort of any hip retro, it's obviously that's just what they found from <laughs> the thrift Goodwill, stores. Goodwill stores and <laughs> yeah. stuff, you know. Another scene in it, one, one I really liked, is when he does phone his dad, he's completely up on his uppers, and... Uh, he, I did write. His dad thinks he's dead. He's, he never bothered telling him that he got back home from Vietnam in one piece. And um, yeah, I found that quite affecting. I thought that was really well done. But then it it finishes that scene. Uh, Frankie um, Frankie just puts the phone down. But then it cuts back to his dad, who's just delivered this awful um, little monologue. And it just has him looking off into the distance and going, "Hi, me." <laughs> Presumably, his home help of some sort. But it's just yeah. why have they cut that one line? In? Why they? What's yeah. it there for? <laughs> um, it's those weird kind of idiosyncrasies that mm. do helps add to the mix. It adds yeah. to the mix of it. I think it, it makes it palatable, mm. else it would just have been too grim. I'm not sure if it tips it too far in the other direction because you know it's a lazy thing to say, David Lynch, but y- you know it's very much the kind of humour he would have when odd lines just appear and out of nowhere. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and another scene in it when he he meets the there's the two girls, the very young girls fighting, oh God, and he yeah. separates them, and it turns out that they're hookers, they're prostitutes, and they are very young guys. Yeah, they're like twelve and under. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that. I couldn't really tell if that was meant to be a properly shocking scene or whether it was just ham-fisted comedy or something. <laughs> but um, either taxi way, taxi driver s. Well, yeah, I've, I've written down this. This is kind of a nice flip side of Taxi Driver because I think a lot of people watch Taxi Driver, and even if they're not in terrible circumstances, we've, we've all had bad days when we might think, ah, yeah, I get Travis Bickle, the world's a terrible place, and it would be great to go out there and sort it all out violently. Mm. This is kind of Taxi Driver if Bickle just hadn't really got the the wherewithal to go, not wherewithal, but he just hadn't got the stuff to go out there and do it. It's more like he just gets totally overwhelmed by this horrible world he's, um, he's stranded in. Is it more realistic in a way? I mean, you're probably more likely to hear about cases like this um, without going into it again, you know, mm. the, the, the denouement is yeah. 
grim. pretty shocking. Yeah. Um, whereas with Taxi Driver, you know, it's it's so heavily stylized and it's. I don't want to say he's an anti-hero because I wouldn't even consider him that. But there's there's something about this where you, it feels very rooted, even though there is that bizarre comedic element almost. Um, you know, you can people live like that. You know, it's filmed. It's so cheaply filmed yeah, they, that you know that yeah. is real. Like they live and die like this, and they never get reported. I think if the world was full of Travis Bickles, we'd hear about it all the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, people just not being able to pay their bills and winding up in a that happens all the time but it's not newsworthy mm. just a few more things I wanted to mention I was really impressed with the scene the, the, we haven't spoken about his wife very much but I think she's very good in it um, there's a scene when she's yeah she's she is a little bit like the, the girlfriend in a razor head who can't cope with the baby um, but there's a great scene when she's nothing works in the flat and she's flicking through the TV and none of the stations are working but she eventually gets one with sound but just static, isn't it? It's not even static. It's like the wavy, wavy line. Yeah. But she still sits down and watches it. <laughs> and it's it, as if well, I'm it's gonna like pretend some softcore porn, isn't it, with uh, Marsha and John yeah, having sex? Yeah, the softcore porn or some daytime soap opera that's because um, it's like oh Marsha, oh yeah. John, oh Marsha, because yes. it reminded me yes. of the Adam and Joe intros <laughs> yes. recently, where you, they're using their names. So. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, she looks a bit like. Uh, like an even rougher Chloe Sevigny Sevigny yeah she's got the little nose Mm. but yeah she's um, she does a really good job in this and also I mean it's a very cheap film but towards the end when Frankie um, Frankie's collapsed in front of the TV but the Vietnam flashbacks are being projected onto his face yeah a cheap a cheap effect but really looks great really worked worked for 2001 (laughs) (laughs) yes Douglas Trumbull approved Uh, out of the um I don't know if I'd lump it in with Vietnam movies or a war war movies as such, but mm. it's certainly up there with things like Full Metal Jacket for me or uh, yeah, Apocalypse. I, I, at some point, I wouldn't mind doing a day of because we often meet up with a few of our friends and watch Triple Bills. At some point, I wouldn't mind doing the Vietnam Triple of the training film, which would have to be Full Metal Jacket, mm. the actually in the action one, and then the the Fallout. And the Fallout films are the ones I'm usually more interested in. I mean, yeah. we've covered Ninth Configuration on the first show. But this as well is fantastic, and Taxi Driver as well. Go stop my ass! You're swallowing your Fosters and nodding. Yeah, I'm just thinking You're about watermelons. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> but uh, we've got some feedback we'd like to read out. Uh, thanks to Giles Edwards, who's managed to find time between looking after his new twins, Ruby and Max. Twinny twin twins. You okay there? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I was just filled with the spirit. Well, you know, fellow <laughs> parent. Um, but yeah, going back to a few shows ago when we covered uh, Chimes at Midnight, and Giles has written in just to say a uh, quick note on Chimes at Midnight. I'm sure it's partly apocryphal, but were you aware that one Jess Franco, purveyor of the finest sleaze that Spain has to offer, was involved in directing, I assume as a, in a second unit capacity, the massive battle scenes at the climax? Franco himself likes to pontificate about how Pauline Kael particularly praised those parts of the film, and thus Franco himself, which I guess is a legend I would want to propagate as well if I were in his position. If true, there's something delightful about imagining two such devotees of excess as Wells and Franco sitting down at a table, groaning with corpulent limbs, manchego chorizo, and lashings and lashings of vintage Rioja, trying to one-up each other with tales of their lurid exploits. It just makes me smile. Would that those kind of characters existed in today's industry. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. be up for watching that. I'd, what, I'd have that? a ringside seat. 
if they reissued Chimes of Midnight with that as an Envision commentary, <laughs> someone had been there with a Super 8, Super 8 camera. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so cheers, Giles. Yeah, thanks a lot, Giles, and I hope Max and Ruby are well. And also Andy, who provided us with Paper Mask earlier. Yes, thanks. He wrote in and he was just saying how he saw a copy of uh, Cutthroats 9 and really enjoyed that. I thought it was great. And also, uh, Chimes at Midnight, the awesome films, well, he said, was really entertaining, like we said, mainly due to the performances and what balls to rewrite the board. But he thinks he pulled it off and he wonders how it was... um, Received upon yeah. his release. I just had to read that a few times because it said, "What balls to rewrite the bard, and whether his meaning, what guts you have, or what a load of bollocks to rewrite the bard." I, I assume it's in <laughs> the form. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Um, I don't know how it was received at the time. Um, I think it was well critically received. I'm not sure if it. Um, it know. did. I, I was going to say it didn't seem to fall into um, disrepute like a lot of his other mm. things, like Mister Arcade. You know? Oh God, yeah. And Barry Egan wrote in on the blog and said, Thanks, guys. Just ordered The Silent Partner and Cutthroats 9 after listening to the shows. Keep digging up those cinematic wasteland treasures. And he's also offered up one of his favourites, Little Murders, a little-known Elliot Gould gem. Black, funny, touching and hilarious in all the right ways. Elliot Gould, yeah. There's a movie I've been looking for for a while, which I think we've had a bit of trouble, Mm. um, called Who? With a question mark. (laughs) I've found it. I found yeah. a copy of it. It's going to cost me like twenty quid, <laughs> so I'm Ooh. putting it on hold. <laughs> You're going to pour fun guy. <laughs> yeah, who with a question mark? But also, I think it was reissued as Robo Man with a quite a and the man with a steel mask. Man. But I I remember that being a good movie. It's Jack Gold who directed um, Medusa Touch, and uh, but that's yeah, a possibility as well, isn't it? Medusa Touch. Yeah, there seemed to be a little subgenre of people in comas with psychic powers Patrick. going on in the seventies. Yeah, Patrick. Medusa touch and there's a Terence Stamp movie called The Mind of Mr. Soames. That's brilliant. Yeah, what a title. I think there's a few others as well, but <laughs> who knows? Yeah, maybe we should do an entire show <laughs> to put people to sleep. Yeah, theme show. I'm already quaking. And thanks always uh, to people leaving comments on iTunes. That's always really, really appreciated. So thanks to Paul K and Philip McGrain aka Phil McGee, and I think it was Phil who had trouble with Gigi Allen, wasn't it? Yeah, he did. He was struggling. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Uh, credit card details have been put into a spam email and shared. I think you guys all uh, know what I'm talking about there. <laughs> but yeah, um, I was pleased that Phil wanted to watch. Um, this is Phil McGee, not yeah. uh, not you, Mr. Walsh. <laughs> wanted to watch Gigi Allen because by coincidence, I watched that again last weekend uh, when I was on that stag do I mentioned. And uh, yeah, it's it's a bit like Spinal Tap. Even if you hate the music, if you've watched it enough times, you'll be tapping your foot along to uh, all of the riffs on it. But yeah, an amazing film. I mean, I think it was a bit too much for Phil. (laughs) But uh, I'd be interested if anybody else has any uh, feedback on that. It's an amazing documentary. So, uh, get in touch via the usual means. Uh, Email midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk. Search for us on Facebook, Midnight Video. We're on Twitter, at Midnight Video. Subscribe to us through iTunes at Midnight Video. There seems to be a lot of midnight video going on. There's here. all sorts of midnight video. Ahoy! <laughs> yeah, don't do midnightvideo.com. Do midnight-video.com. Is that the um, the naughty site? It's the other one, yeah. Although we should talk at some point about the other midnight video. 
Oh, the... Uh, the 80s video label. The video label, yeah. yeah. Which, they haven't come and sued us yet, so... Because it was a total coincidence that we came to the title, but... Um, that could be something I could put on the blog. Yeah, because the logo for that was so fantastic, wasn't it? With the skeleton and the top, top hat. hat. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, actually, that's something that I'll uh, I'll probably put up a little link to. Do it. Yes. Okay, well, thanks for listening. See you next time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. They call me Dr. Sexy. Sterilize my tools. Let's break some British Medical Association rules. Such a sexy, you'll be struck off for that. Sounds good. I'm gonna get you in the back of the head.